Well, good morning, everyone. Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis this morning for our study. Today we're in Genesis chapter 16. And uh, don't worry, Jeff will be back next week. Everything will be put back in order. So that was fun. Genesis chapter 16, as Moses continues an outline of the beginning of all things. We're in the middle of a segment on Abraham, and the, the journey continues. Verse 1 of 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Be'er Lechai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram's son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Years ago, I was working with a couple whose marriage was pretty messed up. She was a new believer. Her husband was an unbeliever and, interestingly enough, had a background that was Palestinian. His grandfather was a practicing Muslim. The kids had come and grown and moved out and and this husband and wife were there basically alone back together, really enjoying their grandchildren at this point. 
she started coming to church quite regularly. Of course, he would only come to church, you know, maybe twice a year to see the grandchildren in the children's program at Christmas and Easter, for example. But over the years, the marriage had become stale, in his view. And so to lighten things up and to get things moving again, he decided he would introduce pornography into the marriage. And now she found herself in conflict as she came to my office and she said, I don't know what to do. I know that this isn't right, but I'm afraid it'll make him so mad if I say no. What should I do? She didn't want to compromise her faith. We have to remember that even though Roe versus Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court this past week, we remember that we are still living in a world where it seems that any semblance of morality has been just chucked right out the window. We reverted back to the time of the Israelite judges where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And we're living in a time where there is no propriety, no compassion, treacherous betrayal, blatant lies, heartless murder, vicious abuse, and an overindulgent love of self. We are surrounded by moral compromise on every side. Sadly, all of us are seduced by moral compromise, and we don't trust God for our deliverance. But, beloved, we need to trust him. We desperately need to count the cost of our catastrophic moral failures as a people. For us to walk rightly with God through Christ, we need to do all we can to rest on his promises while seeking to abide in his very presence no matter what. This involves our trusting, our counting the cost, our resting in him ultimately. In our sermon series, we've gone back to the beginning, the book of Genesis. From the beginning, God has promised that he would send a redeemer, a promised seed from a woman who would come and destroy evil once and for all. In Genesis 3, God said to Adam and Eve after they sinned against God in the garden that a child would come from Eve, from the woman who would crush Satan's head. This promised redeemer, this seed would be bruised by the evil one, but this coming savior, this Messiah, would have complete victory for all of humanity over evil. From this point on, the opposer, the evil one, Satan, unleashed a campaign of deception, chaos and evil, and evil and his determination to destroy this coming seed. And after several ill-fated attacks against this promised child, we saw in the 12th chapter of Genesis that the seed line came to Abram, the descendant of Terah, who was the descendant of Shem, who was the descendant of Noah, who was the descendant of Seth, the son of Adam, who was the very son of God. When Abram was 75 years old, God promised him that the line of the Messiah would go through his seed from his own body. In Genesis 3:12:1, we read, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I'll make you a great nation, and I will bless you and, and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. And now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Here God made a threefold commitment to Abram. The promise of descendants. I will make you a great nation, God said. The relationship of blessing that Abram had and his descendants would be a blessing. I'll bless you and you'll be a blessing to all peoples of the earth. And then thirdly, the promise of land. 
The land which I will show you, God said. The problem is, ten years have gone by, ten years have passed, and nothing has happened. Abram and Sarah are still childless. And it appears to them that God is not going to come through on his promise. Now Abram is 85, and his elderly life has become impatient with God's plan. And so she becomes seduced with compromise. She then, in turn, seduces Abram with her handmaid Hagar in an effort to help God bring about his promise. The reality is that all of us are waiting for God's promises in our lives. And as we wait for God to come through it, to come through it, it's easy for us to also be seduced into compromise in our own efforts to somehow bring relief to ourselves in the midst of our difficulties. So let's see if we can learn how to avoid being seduced by compromise this morning as we consider three spiritual truths, three spiritual principles that God has for us from his word from this passage. But before we study, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we desperately need your help to unpack this passage. There's so much in it. Help us not to miss anything that you might have for us today. So, Lord, may we humbly come to your word. Lord, we want to hear from you, not from this speaker. We want to hear what you have to say more than anything. So, Lord, guide us into your truth by the power of your spirit through your word. We ask this in your son's wonderful and awesome name this morning. Amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined, here's the first simple truth. Beloved, we need to trust God. It's easy to say that, isn't it? It's, a, it's another thing to actually live it. We need to trust God. We are seduced by moral compromise when we don't trust God for our deliverance. We'll become seduced by moral compromise when we begin to dwell on our circumstances instead of dwelling on God and His very being. Beloved, we are seduced by moral compromise, first of all, when we become impatient with God. In verse 1 it said, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. There's no kids. God said, hey, the kids are going to come, but there's no kids. They're not coming. Sarai is running out of patience with God. You ever run out of patience with God? Sometimes we run out of patience with him, don't we? But I'm always reminded how patient has God been with me. (laughs) Maybe I should be patient with him. He's been patient with me. But secondly here, we're seduced by moral compromise when we consider evil options. You can imagine what's going on in Sarah's mind. This child isn't coming. She's born him no children. In verse 1, it goes on. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Hey, there's an idea. You know, we could. Multiple marriages, by the way, in Scripture always bring about a bigger mess. You recall Jacob. He had two wives and then introduced two other handmaids. That became a huge mess. Monogamy is God's design from the beginning. One man for one woman, one woman for one man. Beloved, we are seduced by moral compromise when we start considering evil options. It's one thing to consider our options, but some options are outright wrong, evil, diabolical, rebellious. But thirdly, we are seduced by moral compromise when we blame God to justify our rebellion. Isn't that what Sarah does here in verse 2? And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. 
Now, it is true that God had prevented it, but is God somehow trying to be cruel and unusual and hurtful? No, God was responsible for the delay, for sure, but for his purposes. Sometimes God delays things. Are you willing to trust him in that, knowing that he knows something you don't? He knows the rest of the story in a way that you can't possibly know it. God's delay is not a license for our criticism of him or our rebellion or immorality against him. With Eve, the evil one blamed God for holding back information from Eve, you'll recall. And now here Sarah says, well, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. It's no different than saying, did God really say? Beloved, we... When we blame God to justify our rebellion, we are seduced by moral compromise. But further, fourthly, we are seduced by moral compromise when we corrupt others in our impatience. Notice how she now brings Hagar into the mix with this big mess. Well, go into my servant. There's an idea. Take Hagar. I'd like to remind you, misery loves company. She now throws Hagar at Abram. Somehow we feel more justified in our rebellion when others join us. Hey, I'm doing something ridiculous and rebellious. Why don't you come along with me? Come misrepresent with me. Come drink with me. Come smoke with me. Come lie with me. And I ask you, are you a stumbling block for others? And here now, Sarai is going to be a stumbling block for Hagar and her very own husband. Beloved, we are seduced by moral compromise when we corrupt others in our impatience. But fifthly here, we are seduced by moral compromise when we gamble with God's promises. Notice what she says in verse 2. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Let's try that. Let's roll the dice with that one. Maybe that'll work. Maybe I'll get what I want this way. Because it's not happening the other way. The only sure thing in this world is God and his promises. And she neglects that and turns away from it. Beloved, we need to rest in him, trusting him. Psalm 37, 7 says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Will you wait? Will you just wait for him? So many times I've had situations with people I'm trying to counsel, and they want to have a decision. They want to have it all figured out right now. And I just have to say, can you wait? Will you wait for what God's going to do yet? Maybe you don't have enough information to draw your conclusion. Will you wait patiently? When we gamble God's promises, we gamble with his promises, we are seduced by moral compromise. Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Is it hard to wait? Yeah. Sometimes it's super hard to wait. But take courage. Wait for him. Let your heart take courage. Be strong as you wait. Psalm 40, verse 1, won't be on the screen. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. Beloved, this all has to do with our trusting God. God's not a man that he should lie. 
We are seduced by moral compromise when we gamble with God's promises. Well, maybe I could get what I want this way. Roll the dice. Further, we are seduced by moral compromise when we consider bad ideas, even though they seem attractive. That happens, doesn't it? This is a really bad idea, but hey, this looks like a good option. And Abram now is on the other end of this. Verse 2, it says, And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Oh, what a tragedy there. Satan comes as an angel of light. Sin often times looks really good. I'd just like to remind you, like if the evil one walked in right now, he wouldn't be walking in like, he wouldn't walk in like the Tasmanian devil. We're like, oh, get away. No, he comes in looking pretty awesome. Hey, baby, hey, baby. Want to come with me? That looks like a good idea. And off we go. Having a hook in your nose. Deception, conflict, bitterness, separation, devastation, death. James 1.13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Hey, that looks pretty good. Hagar, sure, why not, Abram says. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Beloved, we are seduced by moral compromise when we consider bad ideas, even though they seem pretty attractive. And then lastly, here on this point, we are seduced by moral compromise when we follow through in our rebellion against God, when we finally act in rebellion. Verse 3, So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Know for certain, as Paul writes, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Oh, I've got it sorted. I'm in pretty good shape. Oh, I would never fall for that. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Basically, run for your life. Bad idea. Immorality. I'm out. Not going there. Now, what's really interesting about this particular passage is that it really mirrors, if you will, reflects the Genesis 3 fall account starts out with, she said, Eve said some things to the, to the evil one. Sarai says some things to, to Abram, and then she took. Didn't Eve take of the fruit? And now here Hagar is taken by Sarai, and she then gives uh, Hagar to Abram. And, of course, we know that Eve gave fruit to Adam, right? And then, of course, Adam listened to his wife, the text says back in Genesis 3. And here we see this. Uh, quite evidentially, that here Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Very interesting parallel. In other words, this isn't just a, a bad idea. This is outright, blatant, sinful rebellion. 
By the way, wives, you need to understand the potential power you have over your husbands for good or for ill. Little note there. But secondly, this morning, not only do we need to trust God in overcoming evil, we need to count the cost. There's a lot of people not doing much math these days in terms of counting the cost of rebellion. Rebellion costs something. It's not free. It might seem like a great time in the middle of it, but then it's, there's going to be something lost. It could be huge. It could be substantial. I've seen evil rebellion with tentacles that grab things you never anticipated for it to grab. Beloved, moral compromise often, first of all here, brings distrust. Look at this. When Sarai, when she saw that she had conceived, when she saw that Hagar had conceived, she looked with contempt on her, on her mistress. Oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. Just, just a few minutes ago, this was her idea, and now she's like, hey, what are you doing? Since we don't trust ourselves because of our own rebellion, we won't trust anyone else either. In other words, a lot of us are so full of contempt for ourselves, surely I can be in contempt for all of you. And that's how that works. Moral compromise brings distrust. And so we easily begin to become paranoid, self-focused, self-justifying, self-centered, self-protecting, narcissistic people. But not only that, moral compromise often brings blame shifting. And Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wasn't this your idea? I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. So here we have Sarai blaming Abram, Sarai blaming Hagar, Sarai blaming God. No different than Adam and Eve. Moral compromise brings blame shifting. But not only that, moral compromise often brings irresponsibility. How so? Verse 6, but Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power to do to her as you please. Boy, does he just wash his hands of that and go, that's your problem. You figured it out, Sarai. You made the mess. You cleaned it up. Abram passes the buck and refuses to take any responsibility for any of this. And all he had to say at the beginning is like, that's a bad idea. I'm not going to go through with that. I'm out. Moral compromise brings irresponsibility. But watch this. Moral compromise also brings abuse. How so? Look at verse 6. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her. If we're already in contempt for everybody else, I might as well just be hostile to everybody. They run into super angry people. They're not angry for no reason. When we've fallen, it's easy to start turning on others. Since we are full of contempt for ourselves, we begin to have contempt for everyone. And so we start taking out our issues, our concerns, our problems on everyone and everything else, yelling at the kids. Angry, be angry and mean to your spouse, short with your coworkers, slamming the door and kicking the dog. Rebellion brings abuse. That's what moral compromise does. But fifthly here, and lastly in this section, ultimately, moral compromise brings separation. What happens? Hagar's like, okay, I'm out. And she fled from her. This has become hostile and dangerous. I'm out of here. 
The only solution for Hagar at this point is to get away as fast as she can. Beloved, sin is the great separator. That's what sin does. It separates us from our Heavenly Father. It separates us from each other. There's all kinds of forms of separation. Here we see fleeing. You could say hiding. You see broken relationships, verbal and physical attacks, murder, suicide. Sin separates us from each other, and it separates us from God. That's what Scripture screams. So what do we do? Thirdly here is now the narrative shifts to Hagar's perspective and what Hagar is dealing with now. Thirdly here, and don't miss this this morning, we need to rest in God's presence. No matter what, we need to rest in God's presence through Christ. From here on the, in the biblical narrative, we're off to see what Hagar has got to deal with here. But here's some wonderful truth that I don't want you to miss in all of this. First of all, here God knows where you are. He knows whatever you're going through right now. He knows where you are. That's what the text says. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. God knows where you are. He knows what you're dealing with. But not only that, God wants to hear your story. In verse 8, he says to Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress Sarai. He wants us to talk to him about what we're going through. Matter of fact, we just talk to him and listen to what he has to say. Maybe we wouldn't be in the mess that we're in. He is, in fact, the wonderful counselor. That's, what, that's who he is in his very being, in his very nature. There's no better person, better entity to turn to. God knows where you are. He wants to hear your story. But thirdly here, God knows where you should be. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. You need to trust me on this. You need to go back. Now, it's possible God might ask you to remain in a very difficult, hostile situation. He might. That's not very popular in our culture. People enduring, people abiding, people remaining. A lot of times we just write people off and I'm done with you. I'm out. But here God says, no, I want you to go back. The angel of the Lord says, return to your mistress and submit to her. But don't miss this. Fourthly here, God is determined to bless you. If you'll walk with him, if you'll trust him in all these things, if you'll count the cost, if you abide in his presence, he's, he wants to bless you if you just trust him. Verse 10, the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. I'm, I'm going to look after you. I've got something for you. You've got it. And by the way, with the direction she was going as an Egyptian woman, where was she going? Where was she heading? She was heading to go back to Egypt. God says, No, I want you to stay. Not only that, God has heard your cries for help. This boy, this child that... You're going to have, you shall call his name Ishmael, verse 11, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. The root of this word is Shema. Shema El. God will hear. God's heard your cry. He's heard your complaint. God will always hear your cries. You cry out to him. Don't turn away from him. Turn to him. 
with the difficulty, sometimes people go, well, I'm just done with God. No, that's where you need him more than you've ever needed him before. And God will accomplish all of his will in and through you for his purposes. In verse 12, we're told, this child that will come, he shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. And this seems to have come true with no, no uncertainty. Ishmael and Esau end up being the fathers of all the Arab peoples, and this is what we see to this day, conflict with the Arab nations globally. God will accomplish all of his will in and through you, for good or for ill, it's, he's God. He's sovereign in all of this. The last two thoughts. God sees your need. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. God sees all that you're dealing with. Will you turn to him? Will you abide in his presence, resting in him through faith in Christ? But not only that, lastly, God will reveal himself to you. For she said, truly, I, I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Be'er Lahoy Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And you go, Be'er Lahoy Roy, what's that? Well, Be'er, that means well. That's a well, a hole in the ground where the water is. Lachai, you go, what's that? To life, to life, Lachaim. It's Lachai. You go, oh, Lachai. He's the living one. He's the God who lives, who sees. Roy, he is the God who lives and sees. The well of the living one who sees me is how it would be described. Therefore, the well was called Be'er Lechai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. God will reveal himself to you in no uncertain terms. Will you trust him in that? You go, in what way will he reveal himself to you? I don't know how he's going to show himself to you. Over the years, Kathy and I, we've written down some what we call God sightings, where the only way you can explain the circumstances is that God moved in a crazy way that we never anticipated and made all the difference. He'll show himself over time in his way. Remember Thomas, after Jesus died on the cross, he did not believe in the resurrection. Now, I don't think so, guys. I mean, he was a perfect example of you know, someone who is a naturalist. He did not believe, apparently, in that moment, in the supernatural. There's no way a dead guy yet lives. And yet his friends called him together, say, hey, Tommy, you need to check it out. And sure enough, Jesus shows up in the room. I love what Jesus does with Thomas. Now Jesus reveals himself to him. Jesus doesn't go, hey, Tom, you big bozo, you should have known. I told you it was going to happen. He doesn't give him a hard time. doesn't give him any grief. Jesus goes, hey, well, come check it out, would you? Put your hand on my side. And Thomas proclaims, my Lord and my God. Beautiful. God wants to demonstrate himself to you. He wants to reveal himself to you. Will you wait on him, abiding in him, to see what he's going to do in an amazing way? Well, this couple I was dealing with, obviously there's a, it's a bad situation. She came in to see me. She's like, I don't know what to do. 
he wants me to participate in this stuff, and it's, it's bad, and I don't want to do it. And so we started looking through the options. What are the options here? What are the possibilities? She knew that having the pornography introduced in the marriage wasn't right, so I challenged her with some options. Sometimes you just need to help people figure out what the options are. One option is uh, you, you could divorce them on the grounds of adultery. You could. Secondly, you could verbalize your disgust for the pornography and push them away further. You could do that. Thirdly, what else? What else could you do? Well, you could just keep going along with it, knowing how wrong it was. Or, fourthly, you could sacrificially love him in a way that the pornography would just fall to the wayside. You could bring romance and beauty back to the relationship in such a way that everything else would pale in comparison. And she thought for a moment, and then she said, surprisingly to me, she goes, okay, I'll do it. I said, what? She said, I'm going to love him like he's never been loved before. Within 30 days, I'm not making this up, I got a knock on my door, and here's her husband at my door. And he comes into my office. Now, mind you, he comes from a Palestinian background. He goes, I don't know what's happened to my wife, but I want you to tell me what I need to do to become a Christian. And I'm like, okay. That doesn't happen. You don't, usually don't have a knock on the door and say, hey, what do I need to do to be a Christian? But the testimony of his wife was so overwhelming that, she, that he knew that Jesus was the one who made all the difference to such a degree that he was like, I want whatever she has. And he put his faith and trust in Christ by God's grace. Beloved, sadly, all of us are seduced by moral compromise when we don't trust God for our deliverance, but we need to trust him. We desperately need to count the cost of our catastrophic moral failures as a people. For us to walk rightly with God through Christ, we need to do all we can to rest on his promises while seeking to abide in his presence no matter what. That means we need to trust him. That means we need to count the cost of our own rebellion. That means we need to rest in him through faith in Christ. That's where it starts. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, your Redeemer, the one who's paid your debt for all, all of your sins, wherein he takes up residence in your heart and life through faith in him, where now you have access to God's empowerment by way of the Holy Spirit to help you finally walk the way he's called you to walk, by his grace. Our response to be obedient is not what we start with. It starts with faith. And because of who he is and what he's done for us, I'll do whatever he wants me to do. I, you want me to be a pastor? Okay, I'll be a pastor. Well, the only reason I'm a pastor, I mean, I made a lot more money selling insurance. Let me tell you that. Okay? But the only reason I'm a pastor, why? Because I'm just so incredibly thankful who he is and what he's done for me. And I want to go and be and do whatever he wants me to go be and do. I want you to go to Budapest, Brad. Okay, Budapest. Go to Chicago. Move back home, Brad. Okay, here we are. I'll go anywhere you want me to go because of who you are and all that you've done for me. As we close our time this morning, some things for you to consider. What do you need to turn away from right now that you're wrestling with? Where's the moral compromise that you're dealing with that it's got to go? Get rid of it. 
Have you counted the cost? You counted what you're losing in the process? Who or what is in the balance for you on the rebellion? Are you willing to rest in God's presence through placing your faith and trust in Him? Abiding His very presence, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Would you please stand as we close our service today? Our gracious Heavenly Father, None of us are worthy of these things. But we thank you for your revelation to us through your word about who you are, what you've done. Lord, as we've been taught throughout your, your word that these accounts in Scripture are given to us to grow us, to mature us, to teach us how we ought live. Even through the poor example, we learn from it Lord, may we learn from this. The moral compromise just isn't worth it. Not in the least. Lord, may we trust you. May we trust you with our lives, with our decisions, with our choices. Doing what's good and right and holy. In such a way as to demonstrate Christ to others that they might see you in us by how we love, how we care. Lord, help us to count the cost when we're tempted, knowing full well that we're only as tempted as we allow ourselves to be tempted. And at any point we just say, no, I'm not going there. I'm out. Lord, may we trust you. May we count the cost. Lord, may we rest in you. May we abide in you through faith. Lord, we need your help to do that. All of us in this room wrestle with various things. There's not anybody in this room that's not wrestling with something. We all need your help to walk in a way that would demonstrate your work in our hearts and our lives. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your work. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for your outrageous patience toward even us. when We're not even patient with you. And yet you're still patient. May we learn from that. May we walk in it in reality, giving you all the praise for all that you're going to do in us, through us, in spite of us. Thank you, Lord. Pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you so much for coming. Have a fantastic week.